Section 45 of the Cambridge Modern History, Volume 1, The Renaissance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Geoffrey DeSena, Cord Lane. Chapter 13, The Netherlands, by A. W. Ward, Part 4. Meanwhile, Maximilian had, toward the end of 1490, made the great cast, and married by proxy Anne, the heiress of Brittany. Shortly before this, he had concluded a close alliance with Henry the Seventh, mediated by Ferdinand of Aragon. For Flanders, this was all the more important, since in 1486, Bruges had sought to gain English support by granting free importation of English cloths, and in 1488 had entreated the new king to aid her against the emperor, and concluded a new commercial treaty with this object. Although this had been a fortunate year for Maximilian, he could not expect that his successes would be crowned by the tame submission of France to such a provocation. In November 1491, Anne of Brittany surrendered Rennes, and in the following month she gave her hand to Charles the but margaret of burgundy was still detained in france and nothing had been said as to the restitution of her dowry yet in the netherlands there was little sympathy with the insulted regent and early in fourteen ninety two the french court provided him with a difficulty in the shape of a pretender in gelderland charles of egmont had in fourteen eighty seven been taken prisoner at bethune and carried off to france the Geldrian towns eagerly came forward to pay the ransom demanded by the French government, but without its support they had not sufficient resources to place Charles in the seat of his ancestors. His struggle against the Burgundian authority accordingly proved long and arduous. At first Maximilian showed himself willing to take the unusual course of referring the question to the government of Gelderland, to the arbitration of the empire. Then a truce was concluded in 1497, with a view to a partition of the duchy. But soon afterwards war broke out again, Maximilian taking the field in person. In 1503 Philip, now King of Castile, consented to a compromise at Rosendal, which left Charles in possession of the Nijmegen and Romande districts. But he played fast and loose with the treaty, and as the ally of France by 1514 at last succeeded in possessing himself of the entire duchy his later struggles which only terminated with his death in fifteen thirty eight and in the course of which he actually sought to make over his duchy to france must be left unnoticed here the recovery of artois whose capital arras was surprised by the lance-connector after the fall of slois would altogether with his reconquest of franche comte have encouraged maximilian to attempt to secure the whole of his daughter's dowry notwithstanding the pacifications concluded by charles the eighth's government with the kings of england and aragon november fourteen ninety two to january fourteen ninety three but the unwillingness of the netherlands to continue the war added to his other cares induced him to accept swiss mediation for the conclusion of a truce with france followed in may fourteen ninety three by the peace of senlis the territorial question was settled as nearly as possible on the uti possidetis basis so that artois and the franche comte remained with the house of burgundy though Arras was ultimately to revert to France in exchange for certain towns now occupied by her. Margaret, all obligations between her and King Charles having been cancelled by the treaty, returned home joyously, calling out Vive Bourgogne to the people who flocked round her at St. Quentin, and receiving at Valenciennes a popular welcome, after narrowly escaping a design of the lands connected to seize her in pledge for outstanding pay, she took up her residence at Namur in fourteen ninety four the year after that of his father's death maximilian returned to the netherlands 
His immediate purpose was to superintend the transfer of their government to Philip, now fifteen years of age, and also to settle affairs in Gelderland. But the Eastern question was now uppermost in his mind, as was shown by his solemn assumption at Antwerp of the insignia of the crusading order of St. George, and by his appeal to all Christian potentates to follow his example, October and November. Flanders was tranquil. Clevercoeur lay dead. Ravenstein was among those who paid their respects to the young duke on his solemn entry into the great mercantile city. The presence there of another visitor, the pretended Richard Duke of York, which gave rise to an unseemly fracas, reflected little credit on the discretion of the House of Burgundy. He was the protégé of the Duchess Dowager, and Maximilian was quite ready to risk a quarrel with England on the chance of the dethronement of the faithless Tudor. Henry the Seventh replied by removing the staple for English wool, tin, and other products, to Calais stopping all intercourse between his subjects and the Netherlands, and expelling all Flemings from England. The Burgundian government retorted April 1494 and January 1495 by prohibiting the importation of English cloth, and for two years there was a complete cessation of commercial dealings between the two countries. Finally, Duke Philip was prevailed upon to promise not to admit any enemy of England into his dominions and in February 1496 the Magnus Intercursus proclaimed on both sides freedom of trade, i.e. the right of trading without special license or pass, and that of fishery. Though there was nothing novel in this famous treaty, it offered a solid foundation for the establishment of satisfactory mercantile relations, but time could hardly fail to be on the side of the English, to the sale of whose cloth the Netherlands were now open, with the important exception, however, of Flanders, where the restrictions were still maintained. Even here it soon became difficult to confine the sale to the staples of Antwerp and Bruges, or from 1501 to Bruges alone, to limit it to large pieces and to prevent the wearing of it by natives. And Philip's well-meant endeavours to revive the sunken prosperity of Bruges were seen to be hopelessly out of date. After, in 1502, the Magnus Intercursus had been solemnly renewed, Henry the Seventh, angered by the refusal of the Netherlands government to assist him in laying hands on the fugitive Earl of Suffolk, Edmund de la Pole, brought about a fresh stoppage of trade between the two countries, which lasted until 1506. It was not only in commercial matters that Duke Philip and his advisers showed a disposition to emancipate themselves from his father's control. Maximilian had placed at the head of the Privy Council, composed of fourteen members, Count Engelbert of Nassau, the faithful servant of three generations of the House of Burgundy, but the leading voice in it was that of William de Croix, Seigneur de Chievre. He and those who thought with him resented as strongly as the Flemish and Brabanson towns the continuance in the land of the German soldiery, to whose chief commander, Albert of Saxony, the ducal treasury had pledged Harlem and several other important places pending the payment of a heavy debt. The influence of des Chievres and the great nobles, in general, was accordingly in favour of maintaining peace with France, although in the Gelder's difficulty above all she showed so little regard for Netherlands' interests and Philip on the whole inclined to follow these pacific counsels. In May 1494, Maximilian had at Kempton intervened in a dispute between Groningen and the royal districts of West Friesland, encroached upon by the city. His decision had been in favour of Groningen, and though he was anxious to keep the peace, further encroachments on her part induced the Schieringers of the Westergau in their straits to invite the re doubtable Albert of Saxony to assume authority as governor. The end came three years later, when Albert was once more offered the governorship by the terrified towns of Sneek and Franeker, and his lieutenants subjugated the land by a series of manoeuvres, crafty and cruel like those of a campaign against savages. 
and ending with a battle of artillery against pikes and the capture of Leoarden, June to July 1498. Maximilian now bestowed the whole of Friesland, including Groningen, upon Albert with the title of hereditary governor, Potestat, reserving to himself the right of redeeming West Friesland on the payment of 100,000 florins. The greater part of his own debt to Albert, which amounted to more than treble this sum, had been taken over by Philip, but an ugly suspicion remains as to Maximilian's motives in the transaction. After Albert, who had been detained by the Gelders' War, had himself arrived in Friesland, the rough insolence of one of his sons drove the country into rising once more against his yoke, and he was laying siege to Groningen, which this time had joined hands with its former adversaries when death overtook him at Emden, September 1500. Edzard of East Friesland, to whom Groningen and the Ormeland now did homage, summoned Charles of Egmond to his aid and was supported by a native rising under a peasant known as the Great Peer, who afterwards rejoiced in the title of Admiral of the Saudersee. At last, in 1515, Duke George of Saxony agreed to dismiss the, quote, black band, unquote, of soldiery, formerly in Egmond's service, which had carried fire and sword through the land and to accept the redemption of the country on payment of the sum agreed upon between his father and the roman king charles who in this very year assumed the government of the netherlands at last solved the phrygian problem by the reduction of the country followed by the submission of groningen to the imperial authority slight indeed had been the importance of that problem on the horizon of maximilian's speculations the great matrimonial plan which he seems to have devised in part as early as fourteen ninety one was fully carried out within six years in august fourteen ninety six the infanta juana was wedded at antwerp to duke philip and on palm sunday of the following year his sister margaret after intrepidly encountering many dangers on the way gave her hand at burgot to the infante don john soon however a tragic succession of deaths those of don john his posthumous child juana's eldest sister queen isabel of portugal and her son don miguel left juana heiress apparent of the united kingdoms of castile and aragon fifteen hundred in the same year her eldest son charles was born at ghent and the city with no foreknowledge of what she was afterwards to suffer at his hands was loud in her rejoicings but vast as was the prospect now opened before philip he was so far as the conduct of the netherlands affairs was concerned brought little nearer to the schemes of maximilian's foreign policy an interview between father and son arranged by ravenstein and others in may fourteen ninety six seems indeed for a time to have made philip swerve from his policy of friendliness towards france and soon afterwards he dismissed from his council francis von busleden provost of liege supposed to be an active adversary of the austrian influence but already in fourteen ninety seven he helped thwart the exertions of maximilian in gelderland and on the accession of louis the twelfth in fourteen ninety eight crossed the endeavours of his father who had actually invaded burgundy by opening negotiations with the new french king in the treaty of brussels philip promised homage for artois and flanders performed in fourteen ninety nine and personally renounced all claims on the duchy of burgundy in return for the restoration of the picard towns reserved at senlis while maximilian after taking franche comte gradually became inclined to treat in his turn for peace with france thus it was that during the first years of the new century father and son came to cooperate in the scheme for a marriage between philip's son charles duke of luxembourg and claude the elder daughter of louis the twelfth which was to transfer both Brittany and Burgundy to Philip as the dowry of his future daughter-in-law. 
the purposes of this extraordinary design being purely dynastic except that maximilian seems honestly to have counted on its success for french aid against the turks it could not find much favour in the netherlands where in february fifteen o five the states-general at malinay showed little willingness to grant a large beta demanded for the turkish war by the roman king in the absence of his son involved in a network of manoeuvres besides being obliged to nurse his spanish expectations philip was in these years constantly away from the low countries in fifteen o one with his consort in spain where their succession was assured in castile and should king ferdinand die without a male heir in aragon and negotiating on his way out and home with king louis in france in fifteen o three in the empire it was on their second voyage to spain that king philip and his queen once more on kindly terms with one another were obliged by a fearful storm january fifteen o six to land at southampton and placed for a time in the power of henry the seventh the goodwill of that prince highly understanding with ferdinand had together with his personal liberty to be purchased by a commercial treaty philip had a heart for the flemings and for bruges in particular and in the negotiations which followed her interests were eagerly pressed but so also were the divergent interests of antwerp the so-called malus intercursus was inevitably to advantage the english trade which it freed from oppressive tolls on the way to antwerp or bruges middleburg or mons while it left the sale and use of english cloth absolutely free except to a certain extent in flanders the unpopularity of the compact there was no secret to philip and notwithstanding the representations of dechieres he had not yet ratified it when the news arrived of his death at burgot september twenty fifth fifteen o six evil rumours accompanied the tidings for the young king's light and profuse ways were odious to the castilians agreeing better with the preferences of the low countries and the traditional habits of the burgundian house philip the fair had something of his mother's docility in council and of his father's high spirit in the field and was not wholly without the popular fibre which commended each of them to the respective lands of their birth but so far as can be judged from this short career he gave no proof of the profound conscientiousness and high aspirings that make it difficult to deny the epithet of great to his eldest son notwithstanding all his failures five months after philip's death the unhappy juana gave birth to a third daughter and then sank into hopeless insanity maximilian showed himself from the first perfectly prepared to enter on a second course of regency this time on behalf of his elder grandson now a boy of six years of age personally he was as unpopular as ever in the netherlands where it was perceived that neither his authority in the empire nor his influence in european affairs corresponded to his still expanding ambition and where a strong feeling survived in favour of maintaining friendly relations with france it was therefore a judicious as well as a necessary step on his part when after accepting the offer made to him by the states-general on the motion of the states of holland and brabant october fifteen o six he empowered his daughter margaret to receive in his stead the oaths due to him as guardian of his grandchildren and regent and on her being proclaimed as such by the states-general at leuven april fifteen o seven he appointed her his sole governor-general in the netherlands the office which margaret had originally been intended by her father to hold only temporarily she filled with honour and credit during eight eventful years fifteen o seven to fifteen after her troubled experiences in france she had in fifteen o one bravely gone forth to serve the impartial interest by becoming the bride of duke philibert called the fair of savoy and once more a widow had escaped the doom of being united to henry the seventh of england she was now though saddened by her sufferings prepared to devote her remarkable talents and even higher gifts of character to the service of her house 
her correspondences with her father occasionally grotesque in form since neither had really mastered the language of the other proved her candour and courage her moderation more especially in the early years of her government and her spirit of self-sacrifice throughout its course she began by promptly declaring the so-called malice intercursus invalid thus putting pressure on henry the seventh who had no mind for the stoppage of commercial relations besides being desirous of influencing the political actions of margaret's government and at this moment himself posing as a candidate for her hand a commercial treaty drafted on the lines of the intercursus of fourteen ninety six but with the english cloth trade clauses left out was at once returned with her signature and on these terms trade was carried on between the two countries during the remainder of henry the seventh's reign maximilian might therefore look forward hopefully to the explanation of his relations with england which he invited margaret to lay before the states-general early in fifteen o eight when notifying to them the proposed marriage between charles and mary tudor not long before this he had inquired of her whether the netherlands was to be regarded as included in his present war with france margaret knew how even the gelderland trouble was insufficient to counteract the desire of the states for peace with france and therefore persuaded her father by concluding a truce with charles of egmond which left gelderland provisionally in his hands to conciliate his french ally whose cooperation he needed for his project of vengeance upon venice the ill-omened league of cambrai concluded in december fifteen o eight was as a matter of fact in large measure margaret's work soon maximilian was wrapped up in its progress but in the ensuing four years he by no means left his daughter to carry on her government without his supervision not only was he extremely sensitive of any supposed want of deference by her to his supreme authority but he was constantly intervening in the matter of appointments in church and state from the bishopric of cambrai to the aldermanship of lefranc and through all goes the call for money culminating in july fifteen ten with a demand for an annual pension of fifty thousand crowns for which margaret was obliged to tell him the time had not yet come her task of mediating between the states and the requirements of maximilian's complicated italian policy was a very arduous one with the advent on the scene of henry the eighth a new chapter may be said to begin in the political activity of margaret to whom the alliance between him and her father was mainly due the variations of maximilian's european policy in these years of surprises were little to the taste of the netherlanders and occasionally ran a risk of conflicting with their interests thus when he had been tardily introduced to take the side of the head of the hansa in her quarrel with john king of denmark the latter in fifteen o seven or rather later sought to strike a blow at lerbeck's commercial supremacy in the baltic by inviting the holland merchants to make the sound one of their trade routes the lerbeckers insisted on the holland and friesland vessels confining themselves to the passage of the great belt as leading more directly to their own city hence the outbreak of hostilities between the hansa and the netherlands many of whose ships were taken up by the trava as prizes and in fifteen eleven the capture of the entire dutch baltic fleet by the lubeckers and Wiesmars. strong pressure was put by the states upon margaret to induce the emperor to equip a fleet for the protection of the interests of holland in the baltic in the end though the peace of malma fifteen twelve maintained lubeck's ascendancy there it secured free navigation for the netherlands vessels except when carrying contraband of war but to the schemes of the emperor-elect as he now called himself against france with which was curiously mixed up a project for a marriage between charles and louis the twelfth's second daughter renee the provinces turned a deaf ear not even against charles of egmond though holland and brabant were dreading his approach would they grant aids unless assured of a general peace with the exception of antwerp malinay and her 
Margaret wrote, the states were d'honneur si mauvaise nature, that nothing short of the emperor's own presence could manage the business. But even this expedient seems to have failed, and when, in April 1513, he concluded an offensive alliance with Henry VIII against France, the Netherlands were declared neutral. They took advantage of their neutrality to supply the French with arms and ammunition, but at the same time allowed Henry, after he had commenced the siege of Terroin, june fifteen thirteen to levy both foot and horse in the country maximilian approved but he held no independent command and the capture of tournai following on the brilliant victory of galnagasta was treated by henry as an english acquisition but though for a time it seemed as if margaret's programme of a close alliance against france of england spain and the austro-burgundian interest would carry everything before it henry was at last estranged by the delay of the marriage between his sister and prince charles due in part at least to the de chievre influence and finally entered into an alliance with louis the twelfth to whom the english princess was now wedded as the project of marriage between the french king and charles's sister eleanor was now likewise abandoned charles was in his turn left in a humiliating position and though the netherlands were ex post facto admitted to the new french alliance all cordiality between the english and burgundian courts was at an end the commercial relations between the two countries had meanwhile made but little advance the duties levied upon english trade especially in ceyland had again been raised and a commission summoned to bruges in fifteen twelve had effected nothing thus margaret's foreign policy had proved unsuccessful before january fifteen charles assumed the government of the netherlands and in the course of the year she found herself virtually excluded from the more intimate counsels of the nephew over whose interests she had so tenderly watched in his younger days and for whom to the last she was ready to make any personal sacrifice charles who in fifteen twenty fitly recognized her services by assigning to her as her own domain the loyal city of malinet and the adjoining territory was during the first years of his government still entirely under the influence of de chevres who in the course of this very year contrived to send away adrian of utrecht to spain in the interest of the prince's succession the death of louis the twelfth on january first fifteen fifteen and the accession of francis the first had offered an opening for the advancement of those friendly relations with france which de chevre and the netherlands statesmen were so anxious to cultivate and even after the death of ferdinand of aragon a year later had left to charles the inheritance of the spanish monarchy and its italian dependencies he continued in spite of margaret's action to follow the same policy nor was it until the imperial succession loomed largely on the horizon that the three generations maximilian margaret and charles were reunited in their efforts for a common end a heavy price was paid by the netherlands for the preservation of the greater part of the monarchy of charles the bold like the house of burgundy into which he had married maximilian so popular at nuremberg and augsburg showed scant regard for the rights and usages of provinces or towns in its dominions though it was only exceptionally that he ventured on such an act as the decapitation of the burgomaster of dort who had upheld a meeting of the states on their own motion as allowed by the Grote privilegi philip the fair went the logical length of limiting his renewal of the famous charter by a reservation which rendered his acceptance nugatory that these sentiments had descended to charles v was shown by the chastisement inflicted by him in fifteen forty upon his native city of ghent the most far-reaching though not the most sanguinary of any to which in the course of her history she was subjected 
in the face of these experiences the gradual growth of the practice of summoning the states-general long resisted by charles but resumed during the governor-generalship from fifteen thirty one of his sister maria queen dowager of hungary seemed of little account the sufferings of the country of holland in particular in the period preceding that of the rule of philip the fair were unforgotten by the next generation in fourteen ninety four a new valuation of income verponding was made throughout the netherlands in order to rectify the modus under which the contributions of the beardes had hitherto been assessed on the several towns and villages and this had to be again revised in fifteen fourteen a most distressful state of things was hereby revealed in many parts of the country more especially south of utrecht and gelderland where there had hardly been a break in the presence of the german soldiery the number of the homesteads here had dwindled the cattle had on many pastures diminished by half along the coast navigation and fisheries had declined in some of the saudasse ports the stillness was beginning to set in from which owing to natural causes there was to be no later awakening what wonder that under philip and afterwards during margaret's governorship all classes in the netherlands should have been practically unanimous in their desire for peace and that even the gilders war upon a successful termination of which the achievement of political unity depended was held a burden and what favour could the endeavours expect to find which set on foot by maximilian were carried out by charles v for establishing in new form an organic connection between the whole of the provinces and the empire at large the states took very coolly to the inclusion in fifteen twelve of the so-called burgundian circle gelderland and utrecht were afterwards added to the westphalian in the system of circles established as it were incidentally twelve years earlier and persistently declined to acknowledge the right claimed by the emperor of taxing the provinces for imperial purposes on the other hand the imperial diet held fast to the pretension as was shown at nuremberg in fifteen forty three and in fifteen forty eight just a century before the political bond between the united provinces and the empire was finally severed the entire group of the quote, burgundian hereditary lands unquote, was included as the burgundian circle in the nexus of the empire it was in this shape that with a proper safeguard of a reservation of the privileges and liberties of the several provinces the undivided netherlands were by the pragmatic sanction of fifteen forty nine settled upon philip then intended by charles to succeed him on the imperial as well as on the spanish throne although notwithstanding the gelders war the netherlands recovered something of their prosperity during the governorship of margaret the downfall of the trade and industry of flanders was irremediable public feeling in england continued to favour the netherlands just as of old the flemish towns had upheld the english alliance but no substantial change took place for many a long year in the mercantile relations between the two peoples in consequence of the decline of the venetian and genoese trade after the discovery of the cape route to india antwerp where the portuguese and spaniards found the facilities and the security they required and whither they were followed by the other foreign quote unquote, nations from bruges gradually became the chief commercial port of europe while not a rivulet from the current of trade could be turned back into the sands of the swine before the middle of the century the proportion of the total exports of the netherlands estimated at between six and six and a half million of pounds flemish assignable to antwerp was reckoned at eighty per cent that to bruges at one half per cent while antwerp had supplanted bruges the advance of amsterdam was beginning to emulate that of the great belgian city and the mariners of holland and ceylon were in the north sea and the baltic learning to play their destined part of the carriers of the ocean 
the great religious movement the eve of which this summary has reached found the intellectual life of the netherlands in a condition of stillness sufficiently accounted for by its political experiences but the stillness was not stagnation university studies were in fetters but in the schools education was largely in the hands of men anxious to prevent any divorce between theological and grammatical teaching among the people at large publications against the sale of indulgences an abuse with which the netherlands had been familiarized during the previous half-century circulated before the date of luther's theses and the book of appeal bible had spread very notably in its latin form even before some time after a version of the body of the old testament the first dutch new testament appeared in fifteen twenty three the activity of the Windesheim convents continued to the advent of the Reformation, when the Fratehausen themselves, many of whose members adopted the doctrines of the Reformers, fell into disuse. For the rest, although Erasmus had reason enough for remembering the monks of his native land, the monasticism denounced by him is not so much of a local as a general type. So too was the disregard by the secular priesthood of one, at least, of the laws most conspicuously imposed upon their lives by the Church yet in the netherlands formerly a seed-plot of attempts to purify land and morals which too often took a fanatical form and thus came to be branded as heresies the reformation had few immediate precursors john wessel as has been seen died in a convent the austrian friars at dort had been influenced by hendrik of zutwein appointed by the prior in fifteen fifteen after being a pupil of staupitz and a fellow-student of luther nor do we meet with many inquirers upon whom the free spirit which had formerly likewise had its brotherhood and sisterhood might be thought to have descended the only heretic of this sort whom jacob von hogstraten himself of brabanson origin tracked to his death in the netherlands before the reformation was hermann von reisweich burnt in fifteen twelve the share of the netherlands in the history of the renaissance on the other hand is in so far as it has not already come under the notice here comprehended in a single name erasmus the ducal court as has been seen was not indifferent to intellectual abilities of many sorts and kinds the examples of his father and half-brother were in a sense bettered by bishop david of utrecht and a fresh impulse was given to the patronage of learning and its appliances by the english consort of charles the bold the relations between maximilian and the renaissance were neither perfunctory nor casual and justify the warmth of feeling toward him on the part of scholars poets and artists which was one of the truest foundations of his popularity but no traces remain of his having found leisure to encourage a similar devotion in the burgundian lands except that among the statues for his own mausoleum originally meant to be erected at vienna he gave orders for two one of them very likely his own to be cast in the netherlands what he left undone was not supplied either by his son philip careless of most of the graver interests of life or by his daughter margaret who poetess as she was needed all her strength for the business of her life thus amidst depressing influences the care of learning and letters arts and sciences was in the main left to the population itself and chiefly of course to the towns and from the midst of one of these trained other influences which more than any other strengthened the popular and civic life came forth erasmus a born citizen of the world of letters of which he became the glory his early education as has been seen he received at deventer under alexander hegius but after this he had to learn by bitter experience how evil is the corruption of that which is good for it may be taken as proved that the collationary brethren in whose house he and his brother were placed to be prepared for the assumption of monastic vows 
and whom in his celebrated letter he described as so many decoys for the monastic orders proper were brethren of the common life under another name a few years after he had been liberated from the cloister he began his cosmopolitan career and the netherlands could no longer more than transitorily claim him as their own and when at the height of his fame he had by the emperor's desire fixed his residence at louvain there was probably no place in the world which swarmed so thickly with his enemies who hated him at least as bitterly for his actual learning as for his supposed heresy but cosmopolite as he was more especially in the years preceding this date he was such rather in the sense that all countries were after a fashion alike to him than that notwithstanding occasional rhetorical flights he identified himself with any his position towards peoples as well as princes was a european one and has not inaptly been compared to that of voltaire in the eighteenth century and though the renaissance was not his movement nor that of any one other man yet his influence over its course was incomparable even in germany by the side of reuchlin and in england as developing the work of collet his earlier publications were mainly linguistic and literary but it would not be difficult to show that in all or nearly all of them the educational purpose proper to the renaissance movement in his native land maintained itself in his education of a christian prince designed primarily for the use of the future emperor charles v he advances political doctrines in harmony with the progress of the constitutional life of his own native land and effaces the futile distinction between political and christian morality thus too there is a real continuity between the whole of these writings and his great biblical and patristic labours from which of course his one late excursion into the field of dogmatic controversy stands apart it was not by chance that he was led to theological inquiry as he had of his own choice addressed himself to ethical problems he believed that a new era was dawning for the church and the christian religion and that to hasten its advent was eminently a concern of his but he had made up his mind that a calm and reasonable progress in which scholar and statesman should go hand in hand was the only way by which victory could be secured and a real enduring reformation accomplished had he thought differently of his task he would probably in many ways have proved ill-suited for the leadership of a great popular movement but in truth he had no desire in his heart to be reckoned on either side he was content to stand by himself herein a true representative of the renaissance whose supreme purpose it was after all to vindicate to every man the right of remaining true to his individuality by means of self-education and self-development whether or not from this point of view also he was in some respects a typical product of his native land the reformation as it presented itself to the netherlands and as they gave admittance to it with consequences so vital for their future history was not the reformation of erasmus End of section forty five